Thank you, Clubus. <coughs> I've got these fa this fancy things, so I'm very excited. Uh, <laughs> um, thank you, Clubus, and uh, to the Nkosi committee. And it's been kind of, I know, for a while that people have been saying, can I, can, can I come talk about some, something here? <laughs> something about people systems or something. So this is kind of this something that ended up transpiring, uh, especially from the work I've done at Interfront. Um, I just want to check, Quibus, how much time do I now talk? <laughs> okay, okay, good. So you're going to manage me as well if you need to. <laughs> okay, so um, let's get in. So, so my idea to, to tell you about today will be uh, a quick, just an introduction about um, who Interfront is and, and SARS involvement here and so forth, so you get a better idea of the context because that's quite important. Um, and then talk about the program that I'm presenting basically as a case study today to talk about um, principles but also kind of some innovations that happened there and, and how systems engineering and engineering the creating system makes an impact in these um, big programs. Uh, then we'll talk about system, system of systems. So some of these things, are, if I see you kind of dozing off, I'm going to just move on because I don't know who some of you might be very familiar with some of these things and I would expect that. Um, program achievements, then talk a bit about some of the things we are very proud of that we achieved especially through the enabling systems engineering. Um, then the systems engineering approach, that's really just to introduce concepts and principles that you know so that we can kind of then also talk about what was then applied on this program, especially then in terms of two elements that I would say was part of the creating system that we focused on. The one is the organizational system. In other words, the people, the processes, the way they work together. That is the kind of the one side. And then the other side is what we say, the technical enabling system, the tools, the infrastructure, um, the, yeah, so, so the, the pieces of software that we developed, if you want, to enable us to do our work. That's not part of the end product. Um, and then if we have time or what, um, and if there's interest, I just want to, I'll maybe poll as well then to see uh, around the agile development methodologies, as you might know in software development, that is quite the, the forerunner, I think, in terms of, of what um, most teams try to apply these days to be adaptable and agile. And um, there's often questions around, well, are we now agile or not? Um, you'll see from what we present, I think, I, do, I don't know of any other company that's more agile. <laughs> just, just by the way, this is Kuni Grindling. He's my colleague um, at Interfront, so he's also joining us today. A very uh, experienced, gesouten systems engineer himself, worked on many programs, and also helped a lot with change management um, that we encounter daily then on a program of this nature, which in a sense, and it kind of becomes difficult to separate, let's say enabling or, or, or enterprise systems engineering from organizational development, from um, your people management and, and, and um, industrial psychology type stuff you need to be working with because you're working with people. 
So if you're going to try to corner me about exactly what field of work this is, um, you know, I'm going to just kind of <laughs> spin out of it. <laughs> okay, so let's get going here. Interfront is the company that um, I've been working for and been involved in for about two and a half years now. Um, and they are situated in Somerset West, for those of you who don't know, we are a soft software development house and we are focused mainly on building uh, customs and border management systems. So our clients are uh, countries. <laughs> um, the company got bought by SARS as the sole owner in 2009, I think, um, and has been under the SARS banner as a, as a state-owned company uh, since then. So one of the particular challenges that we face daily is the fact that we have to be this agile, dynamic software development engine underneath the house and the container of a state-owned company. And we have to comply to the PFMA and we have to <laughs> follow the regulations and the rules of, of a state organization. Um, so that in its own right is a whole case study of its, in itself, I think, that we'll write up someday, Kuni. Um, <laughs> now, the program I'm going to talk about of which Interfront was responsible for developing um, the core uh, subsystem, which is the declaration processing system. Is in, within SARS, we have the SARS Customs Modernization Program. It's quite massive, big. Um, it doesn't only entail the work that we do. There are other streams of work. So over years, there's been targets set. Um, also by the finance minister, so it comes through from our government um, authorities around strategic targets to, targets to modernize um, different elements of, of government, and thus customs is one of them. So um, I'm going to give you more context of, of, of a few things about what it means the system looks like that, that we're talking about. Um, so we've been involved in this development, I think, for, for about four years now. And we're on the verge of go live. So we watch the news. <laughs> or not, because I think if you suddenly hear traders come to a standstill after <laughs> the go live of the new modernized customs program, um, don't call me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is, this is quite a, 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 a moment of, of um, achievement that I think the whole team on our side are now just, you know, Heading, heading up to. Um, my personal involvement, just so you know, is that, uh, well, I mean, Quibus actually said I started doing a lot of help with the qualification side, um, testing of the software and the teams there and getting some processes in place. Um, also wider qualification thinking, kind of integrating the systems engineering side where you also look at your non-functionals and so forth and trying to bring some of that um, uh, 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 capabilities together um, in the program and then I kind of because of my background in organizational help and systems engineering and kind of so I they, they kind of kind of just throw me at the problem and I try to, <laughs> to do something um, we helped and I helped a lot with establishing some of our um, 
uh, I want to say structured, but I'm careful because it's, it's ways of work maybe um, and help the team to develop some flows in, in how they work and also then especially lately looking at the people caring and development side which got neglected over time because of the absolutely intense focus. And obviously then you start looking at retention problems after four years if you kind of start burning out your people. No. <laughs> wow, this is amazing. Talking about systems engineering families, I mean, this is really... <laughs> yeah, so that's great. Okay, so let's look at some of, of the things we, we're dealing with. In terms of the functional scope of this system, this is now just our system, the Interfront Customs and Border Management System, and you will see the, the um, uh, abbreviation ICBS at times, and that's what that is. That's our system. Um, the Core Declaration Processing sub Subsystem, we have a few subsystems. This is the biggest one. It has about 27 use cases. Use cases are quite big and elaborate things. And then about 300 requirements, which are um, some more specific things. And then we've got business rules, which actually captures most of the business logic, which in a systems engineering world would also be requirements. <clears throat> so to try and understand what all of that means, it's, it's, it's actually overwhelming. We, a human being can't just work with that, to work with 1,300 um, rules that are actually configurable. So, you know, <laughs> this is now what people can do to this system when you're not looking. Um, Complex rules. Complex rules involve um, a lot more uh, 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 kind of uh, logic to it and mathematics and so forth. And then, I mean, 146, this is now con conditionality. So, like a rule on a field. Um, if this is uh, uh, Zimbabwe, then that field must be filled in. That's a conditionality. Um, so, a declaration can have something like 200 different types of fields, and then you can also get up to 10,000 10, line-out items in a declaration. So that's the number of things they can then declare. So our system has to be able to, to deal with all of that. We've got six sub-subsystems in our, um, our system. Then we've got managed XCC interfaces for those those who don't know software that well, that is basically kind of an interface definitions on a software level. So it tells you um, what fields there are, um, how you're supposed to talk to each other, and um, <clears throat> what's allowed and not allowed and so forth, and what's the response to this message and all of those flows. And that's, that's formally managed interfaces on the super system level with SARS. Internally in our system, we've got a lot more um, interfaces as well. Queues, these are now physical things that talk to each other in the system. There are 71 of them. Now, I worked on a system before where I think we had maybe six or seven queues. And I had to test that thing. And it was quite manageable because you can watch this queue and that queue and you can deal with it. When it gets to this level, you have to start building things on top of it with intelligence to start telling you what's happening in these queues. So a queue can build up, it can overflow. Um, 
all kinds of things can happen to a queue. And when the queue, when that happens, that queue blocks. And you will see the blockages uh, ripple through the system and it comes to a standstill. <coughs> Code-based stuff, I'm not going to say much because I think, uh, how many of you are software engineering familiar? <laughs> okay, some, some people. Um, basically, let me just say that, that these are just ways you can deploy software. The, the jars are the smallest unit I'm mentioning here, but that is um, a, a Java archive. A Java archive is already a group, a grouped um, module that contains a number of of what uh, a, a class classes in it. So I don't know. I, I haven't asked the guys about the classes, but there are thousands of them. <coughs> if we look at some of our other non-functional requirements, end-to-end -end transaction, the requirement is we must average 50 seconds, even for a thousand. You know, no matter whether they send one-liners or 4,000-liners or, you know, we have to be able to deal with the mix on average 50 seconds per declaration. So you don't want, they don't want people to wait more than a minute for their declaration to get processed. And I think as the intro also said in what went out is we process all the declarations from every single builder post, whether it comes in manually or electronically. Now, most of trade submits their electronic uh, declarations electronically now, so it just flows into the gateways um, that then receive it in SAR, um, and they, yeah, they, they can't wait because the declaration that waits is a truck waiting on the borderline, is a cargo ship waiting in the harbor, um, is a plane cargo item, you know, so y there's a very, um, there's a very practical, real-world stuff happens if this system doesn't do its job. Our current production load, in other words, what happens um, in, in the real world, in, in, in the source customs, is we process about 20,000 declarations a day. It's actually 25 um, from what we know now. Um, the spec for the system is that we must at least scale up to 60,000. We've, in the last, um, sure, since, was it August last year, we were triggered into the transition process with the system where we, we are running in parallel with the legacy system, comparing results every day. So the intention of that is of course that by the day, the day we switch the Swiss system over from the legacy to the new system, you want as little impact as possible on your trade. Now, th this is part of kind of where the systems engineering argument becomes very strong because these decisions weren't really made in the beginning of the program planning. How do we transition? <laughs> So we come there and we say, well, this is how we're going to transition. You have to match legacy. And we're like, well, we've been working to the spec, <laughs> you know. We conform to the spec. No, 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 you have to conform to legacy. This is a modernized system. We don't care. You have to conform to legacy. So, so um, we had to kind of really take on a new way of, of looking at this. 
The only measure was what does legacy do? <laughs> um, all those rules I showed you, it's actually double um, in the spec. Uh, we, li we literally had to remove about 50% of our business rules as specified because they want to actually in the end have a much tighter um, uh, uh, regul like regulation and hand on that's that was part of the idea of this modernized system so um, since August we've been going through this process so they run all the declarations during the day goes through the legacy system then at a at a, th those declarations and their outputs are kept <clears throat> then they take the declarations as they went into legacy and at 12 at night they switch on our system and they pump it through the system so all of this has now also been automated since then so it's in the background it runs it doesn't really just run in the background because if something goes wrong <laughs> who are you gonna call so um, then they give a uh, yeah, so they run actually I think from 3 o'clock. There's certain processes that run because apart from the data that then gets pushed through the system, which is our input data, as you can imagine, there is what we call seed data and things. The state of our system actually needs to match the state of the legacy system. Otherwise, we will not going to do the same thing to the declaration. So there are data transfers that also take place before the run takes place to synchronize as best we can these two systems. Then the data gets pumped through from 3 o'clock, um, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and then by half past 6 in the morning, we've got automated reports triggering. That spits out what the differences are between our system and the legacy system. Pages and pages of it. <laughs> and then the expectation is that the team starts analyzing and so forth and currently, and this is part of the achievements we mentioned, we have to then pick up on differences and fix everything we can within the same day and release again for that evening. And this is a, this is a big system. <laughs> you can't come and say, listen, I need three days to integrate. What? No, <laughs> you don't have three days to integrate. Tonight, production environment, working, Eno touchy because it's automated. <laughs> so the the pressure and the demands of this program is actually overwhelming. And if you do not take a team and kind of walk with them and mature them over time to get to a point where there's an engine that can can go, can do it, the environment is oiled. You know, you don't you don't have a day if something goes wrong. You you've got an hour maybe two minutes, you know, and, and you just need to go. Um, so we do 20, actually do 25,000 declarations currently in four hours, which is actually about 104 per minute, which is much higher than the specification, actually. And also we got a recent result, which is very cool, is that every single interface with our our uh, systems that we interface with, our external interfaces, in other words, <coughs> um, all responses are below 10 seconds. Now, this is, th this is literally, it took from August last year to tweak all the systems to be able to say that. So, the, the, the periods you need to work with 
optimizing and optimizing and optimizing gets very long um, to get, get everything aligned. <clears throat> Availability requirements, as you can imagine, the system 24-7. You've got Saturday at midnight, uh, upgrades are scheduled. And you've got a few hours there where they allow the system to go down. Then that's it. Reliability, integrity type requirements. Now this is, this is like critical. You can imagine this is SARS's money. So we need to be 100% accurate. Um, and currently on the legacy system, we have to match the legacy system on the cent level. If you're one cent over or under, it's, it's a no-go. Um, so it's very, very strict. You can imagine if you suddenly use rounded one way and the one I'm on rounds another way and you do that three times, then you know, a cent or two cents can be quite easy. <clears throat> so we have to monitor the money. And I can tell you this, it is massive amounts of money that comes through daily um, that we're talking about. Just to show you quickly, you can't see the, um, the numbers well, but these... These are thousands of um, declarations, so that's 10,000, 20,000. This is 3 o'clock in the morning. Then it, it kicks off. The red line is the CAS, um, CAS DEX, that's the declarations, customer declarations. And you can see it gets pumped through in about four hours. This is controlled. You can see it's linear, kind of. So there's something that... At, at, at base, there's a, 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 a tool that pushes this through, and we have to keep up to pump out the, the CAS resist. Now, the customer resolutions, usually you don't get just one resolution per customer declaration, and that's why the number is much higher. But what's important is we need to end very close to where that ends. Otherwise, we had a buildup in the system. So this is a recent um, graph. We're doing well. <laughs> we're keeping up. So we're pumping out about 50,000, um, 50, six, uh, that's 60,000, so 52,000, 53,000 um, customer resolutions. Now, something about the context complexity. Now, this was just, this is now the system. It was the system. The team size, our team, we're about 63 technical people, so software engineers, testers, business analysts, um, support and integration people, project management and coordination. Um, we'll see some more about those functions, all working together. So it's quite large for a software team, um, which typically, I mean, 20 would then also be big. Um, yeah, so the, the external interfacing system, so these are the systems that talk to our systems. There's a financial system. Um, there is a system that... Uh, 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 looks at what risk is there and gives information back to our system. There's a trader management system that manages um, uh, uh, the information about the traders and what they're allowed to do and not to do. Um, so there are 10 of these other systems around our system that we need to interface with. Um, we've got four operator interfaces. We're actually applications all in their own right. Um, most of our system is actually completely invisible because it's a back-end. Um, hence, also, we need to build a lot of tools to see what's going on. Um, there are six contracting parties of which we are one. So we have to somehow work together with five other parties in this um, development. 
big entities, SAP and Accenture and, and so forth. Um, uh, the, the team on that program level is distributed across the country. We're sitting here, Shazis in Pretoria. We've got a lot of flying up and down going on. Um, then this is what I mentioned is we've actually have this type of a project and the demands of this project that really requires daily we have to change the system and we don't know to what they're going to ask tomorrow. But we are in this in, the, in, in government organization with its very strict other protocols and procedures. High degree of uncertainty. So the full scope of the system was always unclear. And now, okay, you've got an unclear baseline that changes continuously. Okay, we can deal with that. Um, this legacy system that we're testing again, against, there exists no specification for this thing. So it's, it's I don't know if I'm supposed to say this loudly, but, you know, it's, it, it really means that no one knows what that system does. <laughs> no person knows. And you can't go draw a document to see, well, what business rules are you applying? as the developer or put it in the system and see what happens, you know. So um, that's why the output of these, these parallel runs are our only, um, you know, measure. Uh, as we mentioned, this transition strategy that only came later as the system matured uh, and these daily requirement changes. Some of them are small, some of them are huge. It's actually architectural changes that we then have to build in alongside releasing the system every day. We have to put in a two-month um, change as well and then some point have that th those things together and not make the system fall over keep a stable baseline so those are very specific challenges can you read that that's our shash context you see so who do you go to if you have a problem I don't know you tell me okay so what are some of these typical challenges we then face and, and this is, I think sometimes in systems engineering we say, no, you just need to somehow control it better. But these system of systems programs, if we think of our system as a subsystem of this bigger system with these 10 other systems and six other contracting houses, th these are just typically things you encounter. So you have to somehow deal with them. You can't make them go away. Um, they operate, these system elements actually operate independently. As organizations, we operate independently, and we create things that operate independently. I mean, that's, that's what's going to happen. They've got different life cycles. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not so clear uh, to the client what exactly this thing must do, so we have to accept it, actually. We can't tell the client, listen, you're doing a very bad job to not give us proper requirements. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily help. Complexity, we spoke spoke about is a major issue. So as you add system elements, you have a non-linear interaction growth. You can imagine one-on-one, -on -one, one interaction, three elements, one, two, three, four. Now you've got to um, increase the number of lines, which starts becoming more than the number of elements. Management can overshadow engineering. So your because of trying to keep this all together can become so overwhelming, um, it really carries a weight. Fuzzy boundaries. We actually only started with a baseline control, I think, 
The first one was in August or September last year. Now, we've been on this program for four years where someone actually said, okay, listen, we really have to tell these subsystems what baseline of interface definition they're supposed to be working on. So what happened up to then? Well, there was a lot of fights going on <laughs> about who's right and who's wrong. It's never finished. Always something more that needs to happen. Now, you might know this, but I just want to quickly also uh, remind us that software development is particularly risk-prone. In other words, there are many of them that typically fail. We've got here, um, this was the 2006 report, so you can see how many software projects were surveyed in this and everything, and this. 90% just fail. They completely fail. Cut budget out. 46% are challenged. Now, challenged mean they actually severely over their budget and or delivered with much less functionality than originally it intended. So we've only been able, and, and 2009 is actually worst, worse, <laughs> so we're not, we haven't gotten better. Um, only about 30, a third project set out kind of does what it needs to do, you know, manage around the difficulties and kind of deliver something that, that's acceptable. So now you tackle something as big as this and, and you, you have to kind of immediately realize your risk is very high. Okay, so what, what have we now already been able to get right? As I mentioned, these full daily system releases, this means there's development work taking place, a full build of the software, all its components, all integrated, all thousand, two thousand classes, integrated, a working piece of code sitting there, it's executable, it gets tested, regression testing, full regression testing, integration through a couple of environments that I could sh I'll show you, that ends up in SARS's production environment. SARS has about three or four pre-production environments and some um, QA environments, um, and there are very, very strict um, rules that apply to what you put into a production environment. So we have to hop from our last point of testing into production and just hope and pray, you know, that <laughs> that night when things trigger, it works. It also includes, as you can see, data loading. I've mentioned that in the example. Then we run the whole country's declarations. We mentioned, I mentioned that. That is all automated currently. We are less than 5% difference overall with all results compared between us and, and the legacy uh, system. So this is, this is huge. Um, when we started testing real declarations through our system in about August last year, anticipating that this will come, we took 100 sample declarations. We could not get a single one through our system. It couldn't even get out on the other side. Um, because our system was so uh, very strict. <laughs> uh, so this, this to us is, is really a, a great accomplishment. As I said, we have to daily take on these Delta production data, and this is for numerous databases. 
that needs to transition, uh, a transfer from what's happening on the legacy side into our system and um, work. And, and all of the records. So now, remember, you've got different data structures here. There's two systems. They, so all, all the things that take that data, transforms it, checks it, puts it in the database, all those things must work for, I don't know, the five or six databases that we're talking about. Coverage of all system activity. Now this is, this is, this is what, what we're also very proud of, is we can catch any and all exceptions in this system. It lands up in one bucket with very clear descriptions of what the error is and it allows a, 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 an operator, because now a declaration is stuck, right? Because the system threw a null pointer, I don't know, something happened. It can't disappear, it may not disappear, so it must be visible and the operator can come and they can then make a change <laughs> to a declaration of course, nobody can just come in and change the declaration. So there's, there's specific security levels here. One person can write a script that changes the declaration. Another authority then approves such a script. And another authority runs the script, in which you can then do the do a, a, a authorized modification and push the declaration back into the system. So this is, and I mean, the variety of things you see in this system management console is really mind-boggling. Some of it is extremely technical, but nothing gets lost in the system, and that is the important thing. We can track any message end-to-end -end from any of the systems in the greater SOS system. We do that in our system. So we actually help debugging currently all the other <laughs> subsystems because they lose stuff, unfortunately. Um, and we can catch them and show them this is, here's the trail. Go look at that, go look at that. So everybody learn, learn quickly now. This is how it works. <laughs> 1980s, 1990s, okay, here we are. <laughs> tick, tick, and if I say daily, it's Monday to Sunday. So there's no weekend. Um <laughs> so the system of systems, and, and many of you might have know this picture, and it always reminds me just of, you know, how your system really is actually all of this, you know. There's a system of interest, our system. Here's our interfacing systems that together form the whole of this customs management system for SARS. We've got operators, we've got users, we've got other stakeholders. These might be the traders or agents. Um, ultimately, we've got society because you and I buy goods or we want to uh, 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 import goods that we can sell, export goods. And this system has to, ultimately it impacts the man on the street. So things that we typically now work with, as you can imagine, would be all of these type of things. So definitely big challenge on change management. How do you keep a baseline of a big system like this that changes daily? Um, we build systems to, to, to do this for us. Um, configuration management, uh, all the non-functions, we spoke about that. Error, error and failure handling. Um, we spoke about this, management of internal and external dependencies. Absolutely overwhelming at some stage, but you kind of get control. Information management, quality management, 
decision management, risk management, and the list can go on for very long. We estimate that we spent about 30 to 50 percent of the program effort of those 63 people's labor um, into just developing and maintaining this, the creating system. So you can see about 20 to 30 of every 60 man hours over four years. So that's a lot of work to, to put in. And as I said, it includes both of these types of, of, of creating systems, engineering things then, if, I, if we refer to that. So let's get into some of the structuring your team and your organization to develop systems of systems. Um, you might know Conway's law, which is very interesting how this seems to really just hold true. That organizations which design systems are constrained to produce designs which are copies of the communication structures of these organizations. So the way in which your teams are set up and they then thus communicate, uh, it kind of works a bit both ways. So a team that's structured like this typically produces subsystem one, subsystem two, verify, you know, uh, config manage, what other. Typically what you see is this type of thing then in your system of systems and we are set up, we are set up like this. Not because we looked at this and then said we should be. <laughs> it was just interesting to notice that this is exactly how we, we've set up. And then this interaction here, that, you see that triangle? Customer, you've got pro, your program or project management and systems engineering and those three entities need to be in that communication setup where they can communicate with each other and impact then what goes on here. It doesn't matter whether project management's at the top and systems engineering kind of um, feeds into that or whether systems engineering sits, it, th that's not so important. We had, we appointed and put systems engineers at source to integrate the system, our system into the other systems and start managing some of these systems engineering things because SARS did not understand or uh, value this specifically. Um, they are now uh, uh, contracting indirectly to SARS, so they decided they are valuable. <laughs> uh, but it, the importance of this was, uh, yeah, you, you can't get, get away from it. Um, I'm not going to stick around on that one, I think. Also then just a few concepts here that we'll be referring to. Um, enterprise systems engineering, which I assume you all kind of know of, or at least, yeah. So it's, is it very foreign to some people? Or Okay, so this is, as you can see also, there's, there's, there's the um, systems engineering body of knowledge wiki. Kobus? <laughs> So this comes from the application of systems engineering principles, concepts, and methods to the, the planning, design, improvement, and operation of an enterprise, um, which is very exciting because to me, it's as being a systems engineer and being an organizational kind of an animal to, to develop organizations and work with people, um, this is like the sweet spot, okay? I'm so glad we have this. <laughs> um, other concept that's very critical here in our environment is the idea of self-organizing teams. We have to move too fast, too quickly um, to have large overheads in management structure. 
you know, that decisions have to kind of boil, you have to have these structures to make this decision, to make that technical decision, then you've got a spec, then it gets approved by that one, then you can implement. No, you've got three hours to implement. <laughs> you know, you've got to get there. So it's, you end up with these concepts that really help. So this is not organized. In, it's this, uh, yeah, you can see this comes from someone with that's people that are really obviously very scientific because the sentient beings, this is now people, okay, <laughs> sentient beings <laughs> in the enterprise will find for themselves some way in which they can interact to produce greater results than can be done by individuals alone. Yes, it's true. <laughs> so, they typically are more flexible and agile than if they were organized from above. So it's almost like we, we almost didn't have a choice. You have to leave people, intelligent human beings, that understand and agree with the goal that then are shared, to trust them that they can find a way to work together to solve the problem. Managers aren't there to sit and think of ways that they must structure the, the team and how they must structure the tasks and who, to whom they must hand the, 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 the tasks. There's, there's no time for that type of thing. Um, so in developing our system, a kind of structure or our, our organizational structure and how we work, we did not design this from the outside and said you have to work like this. We said let's work and we see what works and then we start mapping that to say, okay, this is what works for us in this situation. Also leaders, then it, it, where does a leader, is a leader needed and who emerges in that role? Let's just work with that. Um, instead of creating an organizational structure with a line management structure and everything, and we try to drive this according to what we think will work. I'm going to refer to a DevOps function. Anybody here knows I've come across this um, concept, software side, but new, the idea. It is a bit new, the idea. It's only really started in 2009 where they got, it started getting some um, formal get-together of people that call themselves DevOps people. So it's an overlap between, well, it's a collaborative and productive relationship between development teams and operations teams. Improved relationship and collaboration increases efficiency and reduces production risk and associated frequent changes. Now this, uh, 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 development teams, this is a software development teams, and operations teams are typically the IT operations teams. So what you usually have is you've got your uh, software developers in their world expecting, you know, th they're not the experts in the network infrastructure. They want to code. <laughs> so they need, they, they're assuming that, th that that's in place and they can do their work and integrate and they work more in the abstract and the programming than on the physical side of your machine and how these things connect physically in the building and everything else. And you've got your IT team in, in these organizations that provide that basic first layer of infrastructure. But actually what you need in these big developments is there's a, there's a huge gap between those two things. Because now we've got, for example, we're using VMware 
to kind of create virtual environments as servers because if we've got 40 developers and they each need their own little server to integrate on, um, it's SARS will definitely not approve that, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> you need to start using technology. Who sets up that technology? The developer or the IT people? Who knows now? Whose job is it? The developer doesn't want to do it. IT people say, no, you know, I, I don't know what you need for your development environment. So there's a, there's a gap that gets created, which is easier to bridge if it's a small team. But if it's a large team, the need becomes very large. And people start, well, they start fighting and they become inefficient. So we also worked with this to have a group of people that actually help set up our continuous integration environment, make sure that all these VM machines are exactly scripted correctly so that if I deploy a build on there, it's fast, you know, it's got everything and every, all the block is in place for the, for the software side using the IT infrastructure. So it is that overlap that's um, getting recognition in the industry now as a discipline on its own. Now we did not go and look and see, you know, discover DevOps on the internet and thought we need it. We had people doing this and I then looked on the internet and said, oh, we call this DevOps. <laughs> Release management as opposed to just project management. Now, once again, you can imagine if we have to put the full system release out every day, just managing that release becomes quite intensive. Uh, what must go in exactly? What are the teams involved? Um, what, what comes out on the other end? Is it what we said we would? Is what we say in our note we're releasing, is that actually in the code or did someone slip up checking in something somewhere? So there's a lot of function and role in, in that area and it's also being recognized more and more as an uh, a, a, a ind independent software development discipline. Continuous integration you've heard about and, and possibly know about and this is, this is critical now for us to be able to do daily stuff. Um, it's a practice in software engineering of merging all developer workspaces with a shared mainline several times a day. So this, how do you maintain a stable baseline? <laughs> Everybody has to integrate every day. And that integrated piece of software gets tested, tested, tested. So um, in the continuous integration environment, we literally have screens where the developers sit on the walls, which we call green screens. <coughs> and each subsystem has its own blocky and the overall system has its blocky and if you check in code it automatically triggers a development regression test pack that just that checks a number of major functions to make sure you didn't break something critical and if it breaks the screen goes red and whoever submitted must immediately take out their code <laughs> Hang their heads in shame. <laughs> yeah, and fix your, fix your thing, you know. So you can imagine how absolutely invaluable something like that is because everybody watches the screen. Because also if the screen is red, you can't check in. You know, it first has to go green again. Because it removes that code, 
it runs again, then, okay, we're green. Now I can go. So there's also a coordination story on top of this. <laughs> and at some point, you have to freeze these developers because they're very sneaky, very, very sneaky. Um, you tell them, now it's stopped because we're now building for, for the release. Then you think you've, this is what you have, is your green screen. And then just before you press the button, someone quickly checks something in. Um, so the, there's discipline and coordination on top of this and responsibility that you have to take for your work. Um, but yes, a very, very important element. Um, so let's just look at some of these, these things then. We've got, as I mentioned, we placed things that we, we put in place then is the systems engineering capability in Interfront and SARS and you connect these two because we're distributed but ultimately this system is a big engineered system and these are the people that can keep all the bits together and systems engineers have skills then that contribute something that nobody else does in terms of understanding and knowing the mechanisms you need to use to manage the elements in such a system and it's interesting that in the software engineering world that has not taken hold a lot yet the idea of where does the world of systems engineering and software engineering need to talk more to each other, you know, and, and work together? We've got our, um, yeah, we've got some, in, in the, I think instead of me talking about this, I'll show you the, the diagram, which I think um, uh, is going to be more informative. Just one note here, um, we, we're team-driven. You can't have individuals sitting in the corner performing in their, their mind because they're producing a lot of stuff, but it never integrates with the rest of the team's stuff. It's, it's, not it's not of value. So you have to be a team player. What do you do in an organization that demands that there are individual performance appraisals and assessments? So we've been sneaky and we put in team KPIs in those things. In other words, your 30%, 40% of your performance is going to be whatever the team gets rated by the program manager as delivering well. And that everybody in the team gets. <laughs> so these are the kind of enterprise systems engineering things that sits across this. Is how do you create not only a technical environment, but a people management environment that is conducive to, the type to develop, develop the systems you're trying to develop. Um, We've got specific practices around requirements. We do have formal change management, even though it sounds so chaotic. <laughs> um, small things are, um, if it's a bug, it's a bug. If it's a rule change, we actually don't do full ECP stuff. But if it's a requirement change according to our requirements, we have to, we produce ECPs, engineering change proposals. It gets um, quoted on in terms of tab scales. It gets approved and it gets baseline, it goes into configuration control and we, we implement. Sometimes we can do that in a day or two. Sometimes it's big changes and then it takes a month or two. But you have to weave that into your other planning of what you do daily because somewhere you need to extract two or three engineers and put them in the corner for, for a month to do the work, but also not move too far away from this baseline that moves us every day. So, yeah, we, we managed to do that. Okay, we've got some good documentation management stuff going on as well. So we've got formal systems engineering practices going on, even though we have to move so 
so fast. I just see if there's anything here that's new. Well, we actually have full internal release management. Now, what that means is if our development team releases the software to the testers, it is accompanied by a full release release note explaining all changes functionally and physically in that system. So you can imagine that's also not something you can just do without the right supporting tool sets um, that digs into your configuration uh, management systems, your tracking systems in terms of your project planning, what did you say was going to be in there, what functionality is it, is it fixed, is it in the build, and spits out this information that can go to a test team that can pick it up and say, okay, we see, A, B, C, D, this is what we test, one, two, three, out it goes. I mentioned the continuous integration. Huge effort, very impressive setup that's going on there at this stage. Um, we've got, which you might be interested in, we don't have a systems engineer or two or a systems engineering group or an architect or someone like that that ends up making decisions on how certain things need to be engineered on the system. The system is too complex for, for a small entity or one or two people to carry enough knowledge to make those calls. So we have an authority which is actually... Um, you know, all your senior people are members of this authority. Even I am from an enterprise systems engineering perspective. And topics get put on the table that needs to be dealt with. I'll show you now. And then the people that are needed, that has expertise in that area, attends those, those design and decision-making sessions. And that becomes the, that's the authority. If that's done, we agree and we continue. So it's also a useful thing to keep in mind. You can often use groups if you don't have single expertise to, to, to end up making good decisions. In fact, in this type of setup, it's actually recommended to keep it multi-functional. Um, <coughs> We've got actually quite an elaborate test and qualification approach. Um, so daily, we don't test everything in terms of new functionality because sometimes we didn't have time even to script tests. Um, but we have a full coverage uh, map that we create, so against all the requirements, and we can daily or per execution of the test, you can see not only which test passed, but which requirements did it test um, against that gets spit out by the system that we've put in place, what we call our integrated qualification system. It uses tools of the market, and we've written and developed some things so that there's actually a whole system. The tester presses a button, literally, after selecting the tests they want to run. It comes back with all the results, and it can spit out a report at the RVTM. If you have read your Incosi handbook, <laughs> That's a requirements verification and traceability matrix. Uh, <laughs> so there are actually quality guides daily. There's a development test quali uh, quality guide. There is a, uh, a, a, a tester's regression test qualification guide. And there's actually another qualification guide in, a, in the integration environment if it's needed to be. And then it goes out. So that's about how much we can handle in a day. 
rhythms on teams like this, I think, are really critical. Otherwise, your team experience is mostly chaos. <laughs> so they still experience a lot of chaos. But what happens during the day? So first thing, team gets together. What's on the table? What are we doing? So we've got a higher layer coordination group getting together every day at 9 o'clock. You miss the 9 o'clock, you frown on badly, you know. Um, it's just, you have to do that. And then there's activities in each of the teams that take place. There's cu time cutoffs in the day in which we say we stop development and we build. Um, times when it has to transition into the client environment and other specific times that final release notes need to be compiled and so forth. But it gives a pattern and people know I fall in here and then I work. Not always possible to keep to that, but there, there are certain rhythms and disciplines you can keep. Weekly rhythms, especially on the program level. So on the source level, there are weekly CIRCO um, meetings. And our program manager flies up every Wednesday at 12 to SARS, <laughs> stays there, Thursday attends the Stierco meetings, gets all the 10 new changes they now want, <laughs> flies back on, on uh, Friday mornings early, so that at 10 o'clock on Friday, instead of 9, we have our daily <laughs> meeting that he into. So um, those, those things uh, keep a certain rhythm going and um, make certain things happen in cycles that, that you need. So we kind of have this going on a lot. You might know the feeling. Yeah, so before I show you our diagram of our system, uh, people system, this is what we did. <laughs> so I explained to you to try and figure out all the processes you, you need and then apply it, it's too crazy. So, yes, we make it, just it. Something comes in, there's a cloud of stuff that happens and something comes out. Very cool. Okay, <laughs> here's our cloud of stuff that happens. Um, we've got, uh, this is just, uh, just the blue stuff here is kind of the client or the external interface. So this is a systems diagram of an organization with subsystems. <laughs> there's the boundary. There's the external systems we have to interface with. <laughs> um, so we've got the client side. They've got a team that does this, that talks to our team, that then does our product definition. And you can see there's an interface. So there are specifications that then flow from this team to a number of places. So you can see here what I mentioned is there's a release management function that exists independently and does a number of important things during the course of the life cycle of a release. Development, there's actually, it's not drawn here, but you should actually draw like four or five of these because there are numerous development teams of um, uh, software engineers. Qualification is currently one big team. Um, build management, I actually thought, I don't know what they do because you've got, usually got a build master on software systems and it's often a role that someone plays in the team, in, in, in software engineering. But um, this is, I mean, this is like whole management stuff going on. Um, so we need to acknowledge that there's a separate function actually from development. Um, and then we've got a whole team that just manages data. As I mentioned to you, the, the rule stuff, it's also managed as data. So um, we separated it out as a separate team 
to acknowledge the importance and to make sure the responsibility is covered. So kind of unique type of things we have that's not typical in smaller software is separate functions for release management, separate functions for DevOps. As I said, a big, um, uh, uh, huge part of our effort, although they never produce any piece of the product. And then our data management team. And you can see our support team, which is also our integration team. And then um, stuff going to client QA and client production from there. Okay, I spoke about that. System and designs authority, you can just see type of things we, we might be talking about on these forums, which are typical systems engineering things you encounter on, on large projects. It's, all the, it's often the LETs, you know, that then end up here. I'm going to skip past because I know my time is basically up. I just want to get to a few things then. So those things I showed you was the organizational enabling type of systems engineering. So how do we set up our team? How do they talk to each other? What processes do they use of an enabling systems engineering um, uh, effort? Then we've got, as I said, the tools and the technical um, infrastructure that we had to build to be able to get this system developed and get it developed every day and get it out the door. So some interesting work that was done on code generation. Some people frown upon this and some people in our organization frowned upon this, but we actually reduce the time for specific things we implement, which is if, if you get the spec right and you can press a button with the right rules then in place and generate the code. It's, it's quite accurate, you know. So there's specific pieces in the system that you can do this. And we reduce the time from six weeks where a developer has to implement it to 10 minutes. So that is, that is pretty useful. We've got a very <laughs> interesting, we actually use Bugzilla for those of you that are aware. It's not a very clever system. It's an open source thing. But it, we, <laughs> we butchered it. <laughs> and with processes of how to use it and the rules, this is actually the backbone currently of, of managing the, the task and, and, and um, process flows from, a, from where item of development gets defined, implemented, tested, out the door to keep track of what was implemented in what release, in what piece of source code. It links into all those systems. Um, and yeah, so we, we've got full, we can tell you on each release what was in there for every day. We've got, as I mentioned, our qualification system that uh, makes it possible to, to link a test result up to a requirement point and also to execute tests automatically. We've got numerous things that we use to do non-functional specifications uh, and testing that we also had to develop quite severely, um, can I say. So a lot of development work sits in working with these tools then to make them test your system and do it consistently. Um, we've got the tool that, uh, because our system is so invisible, and but huge, there's like 20 process points that happen. Um, how do you know where it got stuck, what's going on? We had a developer that developed a tool that basically then hooks in and visually it shows you as the declaration goes in. It goes green as it goes through these processes. And you can see, firstly, what flow it followed through the system's logic, if you want. And secondly, if it got stuck, where, it, where it's sitting. So very useful thing that, um, that we, we've got there. Um, as I said, the reporting and transaction logging stuff that we implemented, 
Um, the data management infrastructure is also huge and the data is massive. Millions and millions of transactions we had to onboard because I think we have to have like a log of, uh, we have to be able to back refer to previous declarations of two years. And this literally took months to get the first version of that database in our system to be able to refer to it. Different things we developed just for transitioning. Um, <laughs> somebody had to develop something that compares legacy stuff to, to our stuff. Um, no human is going to do that manually one by one. So there was actually months of work for a team to build that tool, which we then use daily. Um, <laughs> some of these things now, we've got the production replay tool. So in our environment, current, you know, up to a month ago, because this was very recent, we couldn't replicate anything that then happens in production. The reason is that we don't, we, we have no way to, to simulate the full environment there. To know the complete state of all our system and these other 10 subsystems and then when you push in something into our system, what response, because it doesn't just go through our system and out. It interacts there and it interacts there, but what that thing sends back, you know. So this tool made it possible to load a full system status across all these other subsystems as well, using what happened in the legacy setup. So it's very impressive stuff and it's being used now. I asked the engineer today, he said more than he would have liked. So it's being used well. <laughs> so just some more realities here. I think we had this one before. We just keep going. Okay, so I'm, I'm basically through, I think the most important things I wanted to share. I think we'll skip this one then, in terms of agile <laughs> comparison. Um, maybe just finally some things we have come to know. So if you take anything away from today, these, this will be point one. <laughs> and it really is, you know, I can't tell you how often our program manager comes in and he tells the team, we will do, be able, we have to be able to release every day. No. <laughs> it's impossible. Maybe once a week. That, that's where we started about a year ago. Maybe, you know, but you're out of your... And he just kept the pressure because he knew the expectation four or five months from that point in time on the program will be that we can do it. And he didn't let it go. Then he just upped the pressure and he said, okay, this week I want two releases. No! <laughs> so there's wish the, the, for a project manager to know when to keep the pressure, to just push the team slightly beyond what they think is capable, but he knows they are capable. The ingenuity and innovation that starts coming free, and we see it in South Africa, don't we? Um, at the times we were cut off from the world, what incredible inventiveness took place. Because we had no choice, you know. So, yes, well, I respected that your opinion that it's impossible. <laughs> but you know what? Just go try. And this is the other one. Because daily, we get very funny requests and things. <laughs> so 
so sometimes say, you know, it's the, we don't know what to make of this, but it is, it's, it's very cute, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much for your attention and your participative um, emotional responses. That really... <laughs> do, do I stop, um, Kobus, or do we still take a question or two? The diamond it makes sense because, because of the pressure would not have developed the capability. Uh, um, because it, it looks, at, looks like that you could port a complete capability, all your tools, your, your, your people, and go and take on anything else. Because those are the issues that yeah. if, you, if you're under pressure to produce at least every day, not in this size program. That's why everybody will just sit there and like, okay, we hear you, but clearly you're just joking, right? You know, because you really cannot fathom that. Um, so yes, and in fact, I think this is what Interfront is also saying. What we're starting to sell now is capability. It's not product. <clears throat> yeah. So no, it's it's very it's very true. This is like me now, almost 40 youngsters, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think it is the thing. That's why your people end up being your, you know, your asset is all there. Your, your people, your, your IP is in your people and what you've built over that, that time. Um, and in, 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 in competing then in a marketplace with scarce skills is another challenge. And in going back to the enterprise systems engineering, what are you building for people to want to stay with you under these conditions? 12 o'clock at night, you can get a phone call. Weekends, we don't care. Build, you know. It's, it really gets extremely hectic for people to survive and keep on feeling motivated to go. Yeah. So the, the people, the person system... Yeah. Just in terms of the the base arg architecture, is that that's what you're referring to? Well, I think the overall architecture in the f from at the highest level is quite simple. So you've got very clear subsystems, you know, and that stays. We haven't added a subsystem or removed a subsystem, I think, in, in, in about this time, four years, when I'm looking at you, because I'm not sure, but it, it really has been very stable in that sense. So I think it is actually a very important thing that you think of how you see your system. If at the first layer you already have 20 things, uh, you know, if you contain them in larger holes with clear interfaces, um, it becomes easier to, to maintain that level. But yes, at the code level, <laughs> uh, 
Um, you know, you have to go with the philosophy now that the code becomes the documentation. So you actually need your developers disciplined enough to document well in their code so that anybody else can then maintain that. Um, because the question is, why would you want to know what this is? <laughs> you know, we just assume it must be there. Yes, but it usually is then for that. How do you maintain it? How do you, yeah. Um, I think any other questions in between that I've uh, Well, the fact that, that, you know, we didn't get a spec that said, please quote us on the system implementation, should, should to a certain extent then answer your question, you know. So now we're in a relationship with our client here to develop a system. And they put a budget in. Actually, at this stage, they kind of fix the budget for the year. That they, because SARS knows they put a budget aside for this development and you get, this is the maximum they're going to pay you for that year. And then, you know, it's a daily figuring out what they want you to use the money for, if they're okay with that. So there are actually quite, as I said, we're in a bureaucratic environment. So believe me, every hour we have to account for that we spend. Um, overtime, every single hour there must be pre-authorized. Okay, how do you pre-authorize something as unpredictable as this? So, you know, we've got our ways, but, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh. Thank you, it was lovely. This, uh, really enjoy that. Yes. Thank you. Now my doctor said I can have a few glasses. Okay, so you think this one could be one of those? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Kurvis.